Good morning, City Light Church. The coffee is free, people. It's free. Get after it. No, I'm not going to do it again. That's cheesy. That's like church humor. It's just not. We're just going to embrace this. I'm going to trust you guys to warm up as we go. My name is Gavin. Today is a great day. And uh, we're going to be in the great book of Philippians. So with a little more enthusiasm, please turn in your Bibles, fake Bibles on your phone, open Facebook and pretend like you're opening your Bible. I don't care. Just make it look like you're engaged or it's going to be a long morning. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 19 through 30. So glad you guys are here. I really do believe even though you're asleep, God is here. God always speaks through his word. His Holy Spirit is here. Uh, We want to come with the expectation that he wants to do something inside of here and every one of us. And uh, I have cowboy boots on, so I don't know what else you wanted uh, for this morning. I couldn't find my church shoes on the way out. And uh, little true story, this is all I could find by the door. So it's kind of, if you're wondering how the wardrobe gets picked out, that's uh, that's it. Didn't even clean them. Uh, As you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter, yes, I'm preaching a sermon. Earth to Gavin, chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Let's start over. Uh, Up until this point in the book of Philippians, uh, it was written by uh, the author Paul, still is, and um, he has been reminding this church that he planted some 10, 11 years earlier and that he dearly loves, he's been reminding them of the central message of the, of the Bible, which we call the gospel. This whole chapter, he was talking about the humility of Christ, how God became man in Jesus Christ, came down to the earth, how he humbly submitted himself to the Father, how he humbly went to the cross uh, to die for our sins, and how he is now ruling and reigning as our gracious God and King. And then Paul starts to kind of coach his church, and, and our church as it were, on what it means to live in light of this truth. Okay, so this is reality. God came from heaven to earth to save us. How do we then live? Paul in Philippians calls this living a life worthy of the gospel. In other words, how do we live in light of what Jesus has graciously, graciously done for us? In this chapter, he's taught us two primary things. Number one, he says as we look at the humility of Christ, how he didn't elevate his own status, but he condescended so that we might be ele- elevated as children of God. He says one of the first marks of the Christian should be humility. When we come to grips, really come to wrestle with what Jesus has done for us, it should humble us which is why I'm proud to say I'm a very humble man. Joke never gets old. So number one, humility. Second thing, he says, uh, we should be a people who aren't marked by grumbling and complaining. Right? He says, the world grumbles and complains because all the world has is the world. But we have Jesus. Therefore, the dominant posture of the Christian heart is not grumbling and complaining. He said it's gladness and rejoicing. So in short... Paul has told us Jesus came down for us, humbled himself. In response to that, we should be humble and we should be glad. Now this morning, as we talk about humility and gladness, we're going to finish out chapter 2 together. And what Paul does here, um, I think he's doing a couple things in our 12 verses that we're going to examine together this morning. And one of them, I, I think he's kind of putting flesh on these ideas. He's been very teachy in his tone, explaining humility, hypothetically, what it looks like. He's been talking about how when we don't argue and grumble and complain, we're like lights in the universe. But now he's going he's gonna to introduce us to two very real men who are his companions as he is doing his ministry from within inside a jail cell. And I think these two men serve as a sort of case study of this gospel, humility, 
and this gospel gladness, and their names are Timothy and Epaphroditus. Uh, We have 12 verses today. The first six are about Tim. The second six are about Epaph, we're going to call him. And what I want to do uh, this morning is take a look at what Paul has to say about these two men and sort of draw out just observations and applications from each of these men of what it looks like to be humble and glad. So uh, by way of reminder, as we always do, Timothy and Epaphroditus are not the heroes of this text. Jesus alone is the hero, uh, but these are two men who have met the hero, and their lives are worth examining, um, not as our ultimate example, but as men who met Jesus, were transformed by him, and uh, have a lot of great practical things to show us about what it looks like to meet Jesus and respond to his gospel. And so I've got a very clever outline uh, this morning, thought it out in great length. Point one, humble Tim. Point two, glad path. You with me? That's where we're going. 19 through 30. Uh, number one, let's take a look at humble Timothy, verses 19 through 24. I do have my Bible. I'm not going to read it because I realize it's a little bit different translation than what you have. So I'm going to read out of my notes. Humble Tim, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. This is a great example of humility, if I can say. Paul is saying, hey, there's a lot of guys in ministry for uh, the power, for the book deal, for their ego, for a paycheck, for the influence, but not Timothy. Timothy has two questions in ministry. What's best for Jesus, he says, verse 20, uh, one, and he says, what's best for the people, verse 21. That's what needs to be done, humility. Verse 22, he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How, as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Okay, here's his introduction to Timothy. We've got six verses on Timothy. Remember Paul's in prison, writing to the church that he planted and that he loved, and in short, he's saying, hey, I'm going to send Timothy to you at some point, but not yet. I need him with me. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to die in prison or if I will be set free, but He's like a son to me, and I need him. He will come to you, but not yet. He's mine. Hands off. That's Timothy. Let me tell you the quick backstory on Timothy as we seek to learn something in these six verses. Uh, Timothy is a guy who, as far as we can tell, grew up in a single-parent home. Uh, we know that his dad was Greek, and that's about all that we know about him. Uh, Timothy had a really close relationship with his mom and his grandma. Their names were Eunice and Lois. I wonder if some of you guys can relate to Timothy. Uh, How many of you grew up in a single-parent home? Maybe some of you grew up in a two-parent home that really kind of felt like a one-parent home. Uh, Maybe you're someone who didn't have a meaningful relationship with your father. Uh, Timothy can relate to you. That's Timothy. Uh, Timothy's mom and grandma uh, were great ladies. They raised him well. They loved him well. They were Jewish ladies who loved the Bible. Uh, Eunice and Lois made sure he got to every VBS and and, uh, Sunday school, and he knew a lot of verses. He knew his Bible well, but Timothy, uh, being Jewish, did not yet know Jesus. That is until Timothy came to his uh, hometown of Lystra on his first missionary journey. There Paul preaches the gospel, does ministry in that town. Mom and grandma meet Jesus, trust him, and Timothy is now being raised in a Christian home. Timothy, too, becomes a Christian, starts to grow and flourish in his faith. Paul leaves town, comes back a couple years later, and the two meet and become fast friends, Paul and Timothy. In this time, Paul essentially says, Timothy, 
look, I don't have a son. How about I be like a father to you? I'll teach you some things, and I'll be there for you. And Timothy essentially says, Paul, I don't really have a dad, and so I would love that. I'd love to learn from you and be mentored by you. And what happened was, uh, verse 22 says that Timothy became like a son to Paul. Uh, The two served side by side. They go on to write books of the Bible together, uh, go on uh, mission trips together, plant churches together as a father and son kind of role. What I want to point out here is that one of the marks of true humility is reaching out for mentoring relationships with people who are older in the faith and wiser than we are. This was Timothy. Timothy's a new Christian. He knows he's got some gaps. He knows that he has some blind spots and some weaknesses, but he wanted to be a man of God. He wanted to be used mightily by God, and so he gets himself around a godly dude and says, let me learn from you. Uh, I think I'm going to grow more like Jesus in the company of some godly men who are older. Uh, Would you help me, Paul? And so in understanding this, City Light, uh, I want to take just a moment, talk to the young ladies and fellas in the room. Uh, Young ladies and fellas, both those of you who are young physically and some of the newer Christians in the room. So if you are young spiritually, I want to say this. The local church is one of God's great gifts to you. Uh, The church is not primarily a building or programs, but, but it's this. It's people. And even in this very room are people who have been walking with Jesus for a long, long time. They're older than you, and they're in the room. They're here because I recruited them from other churches because they tithe more. Anyway, they're here in the room, and that's God's gift. That's only partly false. Um, They they keep the lights on, so praise God for them. And a lot of you guys uh, are new to this. A lot of new Christians in the room, a lot of young people, and let's be honest. You don't know your Bibles that well. Uh, Some of you are battling sin, and you're wondering, honestly, does this get easier at some point? Uh, Some of you are trying to navigate, how do I be a Christian in my particular career field and in my workplace? Um, Some of you young ladies are having children, and you want to do it right, but if you're honest, you're barely keeping your head above water. And uh, some of us in the room are a little bit overwhelmed. Here's my challenge to the young folks. Would you get around some more mature believers? Would you get to know them? Would you build a friendship with them? And would you learn from them? Let me give you a couple practical tips, because I, as a young Christian and uh, still a younger man, hear this a lot, and I think, well, that's great, but how do I actually do that? We don't have like a 1-800 number, uh, you know, 1-800-GET-MENTORED at citylight.com. I mix a phone number and a web URL. Anyway, we don't have that. So let me give you a couple practical tips. Number one, join a city group with older people. They would love to have you. Again, they make more money, so their food's better and their house is probably bigger. That's a great... (laughs) It's a great blessing. Take advantage of that. Get in the room. I promise you they would love it that you were there, and you would be surprised how much you can learn just being in the room. I think there's kind of this mentor myth that says everyone else has someone that they're one-on-one invested with, and that's how, no, it's not, it's not true. Uh, very few people get to benefit from that, but you would be surprised how much you can learn from just being in the room and listening to these older saints talk about their walk with God, what they're learning in the Bible. Uh, that's going to get you an incredibly long way. So number one, uh, just get in the room. Join a city group with some older people in it. Number two, tip number two, be the initiator in these mentoring groups. The younger people, you be the initiator uh, to the Pauls in your life. Um, Here's the lies that the older Christians are believing. Older Christians, like rebel, crow your shoes, or whatever you do for a minute. Just ignore me uh, for a second. I want to talk about the lies that you believe for just a second. Younger Christians, all the young, older people in the room think, number one, you, you don't want their help. 
Number two, they think they don't have that much to offer you. Both of those are lies. You want their help, and they have a tremendous amount to share with you and help you. And so my challenge to you is be the initiator. Go to a city group, meet someone that's been a Christian. You invite them out to lunch, offer to pay for their lunch, ask them their story, get to know them, get yourself intentionally around a Paul in your life. Now, older folks, if you're done with your Velcros, uh, let me talk to you for just a second. So younger folks, I don't know, whatever you do, check your Twitter account. Follow me at Gavin DeWayne. Retweet all my quotes so I look more spiritual than I am. All pastors do it. It's how you get book deals. Anyway, work on that for me. Um, older folks, I want to I talk to you for a second. Um, with all the new Christians in the room and the young folks, um, very few of these people had a genuine Christian upbringing with Christian moms and dads that pray for them, love them, and invest them. Many of them do, but I would venture to say most of them don't. And they would kill to have a loving, invested, older Christian, someone to mentor them, pray for them, and care for them along the way. If, if they're my age, they, they were discipled by MTV in the 1990s, and they really don't have a clue about how to walk with Jesus, have a godly marriage, raise kids. They are making it up as they go, and they would love your help. If they are younger than me, honestly, they were discipled by social media and really dumb movies, and they have no idea. And so young people, don't listen to this. They fake it well, but they're a hot mess, okay? They are a hot mess. Don't have a clue. Most of them are very confused about sex and relationships. A lot of the young parents are overwhelmed, really want to honor Jesus in their parenting, but they don't really know how, haven't had a great example, and I want to ask you if if you would help them. Um, Now, I know that you don't think they want it, but they really do want your help, older Christians. Um, you might think that you have nothing to offer. That's a lie from the devil. Let me say this. If you have held down the same job for 10 years, been faithful to the same spouse for 10 years, and had any pattern of reading your Bible on a regular basis for 10 years, you are a spiritual giant in this generation. That's unheard of. You are a giant. Young guy pointing to his parents. I love it. You're, you're giants. That, that doesn't happen anymore, and we need you to be a Paul to the young Timothys. Additionally, some of you might say, well, that's not my story. I I haven't been faithful. I haven't done things well. I I don't have a great story, therefore I don't know that I would be a great mentor. Um, I've really blown it, and my story is a little bit darker than that. Let me say this. Let me remind you that the Apostle Paul, before he was mentoring young pastors, was killing young deacons. Did you catch that? He's he's responsible for the first Christian martyr, Stephen. So he's stoning to death the church leaders. Now he's investing in the next generation of leaders. And so I don't know how many people you've killed. Please don't tell me. I've got like, I think I need to tell the authorities if you do. Um, I don't know what your story is, but listen, if like Paul, you have met Jesus and he's written a new story Your weaknesses, sins, and shortcomings could be the most valuable thing that you could share with the next generation. How have you received God's grace? Where have you experienced the gospel? Where has Jesus shown you forgiveness and done a new work in your heart, in your weakness? I want to say don't underestimate the impact that you can have on a young person's life. It doesn't take much. So let me give you a couple pointers as well, because, you know, don't just find the next person in skinny jeans and say, hey, can I mentor you? It's just going to get weird. It's got to be, 
little more natural, a little more natural than that. And so here's what I would say, kind of the same thing, join a city group. Uh, at City Light Church, we have two rhythms. We gather on Sundays, we scatter as the church throughout the week in city groups. Join a city group uh, where there's younger people, not a young singles group, that could get creepy, but a, a multi-generational group. Um, and find a way to eat food with new Christians. Simply share your story. What if you were the icebreaker to say, um, even if your testimony is decades old, can I tell you how I became a Christian? Tell that story. And then ask the young person, tell me your story. Uh, how did you become a Christian, or are you one? Um, ask them what Jesus is doing in their life. And then you could set something up. What if you just had lunch or breakfast once a month, said, let's get together and talk about what Jesus is teaching us. I uh, want to give a real quick shout-out to one of our Elkhorn City groups uh, one of our Elkhorn City groups is uh, mostly more mature Christians. They're mostly over the age of 40. And uh, they had a really cool group, still do. And they loved meeting together. And they realized after they were meeting for a while, hey, we, we really enjoy each other. This is really fun. We're all in the same life stage. Uh, we have great social events, great Bible study, great fellowship, great ministry. But we've noticed that our whole church is full of young people and young Christians. What if, rather than getting together so much, we actually started to invest downstream uh, in our church community. And so the Elkhorn City Group reached out to one of our young adult city groups and one of the young married city groups, and uh, they just communicated, hey, we've got some more seasoned believers. We are not experts. We are not pros. We are not theologians and pastors, but we're Christians, and we would just love to walk with some younger Christians who uh, might love a little bit of uh, mentorship. And so uh, they sent out in the email that they were going to have an interest meeting if anyone wanted to meet up. Guess how many people from the two-city group showed up to the interest meeting? Sixty people. Sixty people showed up and said, I would love help. I would love help. The younger generation, older folks, is hungry for mentorship and discipleship. Someone to invest, pray, and guide them, just like Paul did for Timothy. I want to share a quick story from my own life, and then we'll move on to Epaphroditus. I moved to Omaha uh, in 2003 as a junior in college. I got involved in a local church and uh, met a man who was an elder in the church. His name's Jack. He's up here. Many of you know Jack. Uh, Jack was helping out with the college ministry where I was a student, and we got connected, and he started to serve as a sort of mentor to me. Uh, Jack and I started meeting that year, and we didn't really do anything that special. We'd get together. Uh, he'd buy me a cheap lunch. We'd memorize some Bible verses together. Uh, we'd get together about every other week, and uh, he had me keep a little journal, just write down whatever I read in the Bible and what God taught me, and we would just quiz each other on verses and read through the Bible, and, and uh, we started a friendship that year. And now, 13 years later, if you were to ask me what three people have had the most shaping influence on my life, Jack, no question, is in the top three people. Here's the thing about Jack, though. Jack's a pretty ordinary guy. Some of you know Jack. Um, ordinary in the sense that he's not rich. He didn't write a book. He's not a theologian. He's, uh, he's not a rocket scientist. He's just a pretty regular old Jack. He's just Jack. He's just a regular guy. But the reach of his ministry in my life and in dozens of others is extraordinary because he bought me lunch. He read the Bible with me. He encouraged me. And then he just stuck with me for the last 13 years. That's all it takes. Let me ask you, who needs you to be a Paul to a Timothy in their life? And who of you, like a Timothy, uh, need to humbly move towards a Paul in your life and say, uh, hey, I, I would love to learn from you. City Light, that's what this thing is. Church is not primarily a program, a building, an institution. It's a family. You are sitting next to people 
God is our Father. We are brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, daughters and sons, to love and encourage each other and walk with each other as we grow in Jesus. That's humble Tim. Uh, let's take a look at our next fellow. His name is Epaphroditus. We'll call him Glad Epaph. Glad Epaph. Let's get back into our verses. Uh, point two, Glad Epaph. Verse 25. Paul says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Excuse me. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. A little bit of backstory on uh, our brother Epaphroditus here. We don't know that much about Epaphroditus. We assume he probably became a Christian through the ministry of the Philippian church that Paul had planted. Uh, He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't in vocational ministry that we know of. Uh, He was just an ordinary guy who, like most of you, loved God and served faithfully in his local church. And now word had gotten back to the Philippian church that their founding pastor, Paul, was in jail, most likely in Rome, likely some 800 miles away. Uh, from Philippi. And so the church, they gather up a generous offering for their pastor. They write some notes of encouragement. They've got a little care package to get to Paul in prison, but there is no FedEx because it's like 51 AD. And so um, UPS either, they need a volunteer, someone who's going to take the care package to their pastor, Paul, who is in prison. Epaphroditus is that guy. Epaphroditus, regular volunteer in the church, takes a leave of absence from work, maybe burns some vacation days. He says, you know what, I've got good feet, maybe I've got a horse, I can get there. So he heads off for Rome. Along the way, verse 27 says that he became ill, so ill that he almost died on his way to deliver this care package to the Apostle Paul. Um, But Epaphroditus is a tough dude. He sticks it out. He heals up, he doesn't turn back, he does what he says he's going to do, he delivers the package to Paul. So now he's been ministering to Paul, caring for his needs, encouraging uh, Paul as he awaits his sentencing in prison. And then in verse 28, it says that Paul is going to now send Epaphroditus back to them, uh, which he later does, carrying Paul's letter, which is now what we call the book of Philippians in our Bible. Epaphroditus is the messenger that took it back to the church. That's Epaphroditus. Now, I've been thinking about this man quite a bit this week. Be honest, never really studied Epaphroditus more than 10 seconds uh, as I looked at the book of Philippians. Um, I'm usually drawn to the more outspoken people in the Bible. I love to study Peter and Elijah and Moses and even the Apostle Paul, you know, the church planner and the preacher. I, I want to be that guy. But, but God, I, I think it was God, had me slow down and look at Epaphroditus this week. I get to know this man a little bit. The thing about Epaphroditus was he didn't preach many sermons that we know of. He didn't plan a church, he didn't write a book, he didn't start a school, uh, he didn't work any miracles that we know of, he didn't lead lots of people, he wasn't a real standout character in the Bible. But here's what we do know. Epaphroditus said he would deliver the care package to Paul. Uh, He said he would get the letter back from him. It came at a great cost to him, but he was faithful to do what he said he would do. 
It's difficult, but he doesn't grumble. He does it with gladness. After looking at the man Epaphroditus this week, I think he's quickly becoming one of my more favorite characters in all of the Bible. Because it just dawned on me, Jesus builds the local church on the backs of men like Epaphroditus. He's not a superstar. He doesn't get a ton of attention. He doesn't have a particularly glamorous job in the church, but he was faithful in the little things. He's a selfless, faithful, humble, hardworking man. He's just a regular dude who loves Jesus, and he loves his church, and he's faithful. And think about this for a second. If, if Epaphroditus hadn't been faithful in the small things, we would be missing a book of our Bible, right? And for 2,000 years, God has been bringing life to his people through this book, all because Epaphroditus was faithful to do what he said he would do. And as I thought about Epaphroditus this week, I felt like God was telling me this. Gavin, don't try to be awesome. Just be faithful. Don't be awesome. Just be faithful. I wonder if that's a word for some of you in here as well. Don't be awesome. Just be faithful. I think us preachers can get excited from this pulpit. At least I can. I, I read this book and I get excited about reading Acts and this world-changing movement and And I get so excited about the work of the gospel in a person, and and I just want to preach, man, Jesus wants to change the world through you. Jesus has worked in you to save you. Jesus now wants to work through you to change the world for Jesus. And I think that's true. I absolutely believe that's true. But what I think we oftentimes overlook is how. How is it that Jesus wants to work through you? How is it that Jesus is going to change the world through you? Most often, it's not in the extraordinary, but it's in the ordinary. It's not the miraculous, but the mundane. It's not often in the spectacular, but it's in the small, selfless service of humble saints who are faithful to walk with Jesus. It's being a good friend, working an honest job, doing it with integrity, reading to and praying with your children, serving the local church on the parking team. I think awesome is overrated. And I think faithful is undervalued. City Light, let's shoot for faithful. Ordinary faithful people who love Jesus, who humbly serve his church, work hard with glad hearts. That's Epaphroditus. Glad Epaph. Verse 29, Paul says this about Epaphroditus. He says, honor such men. Honor such men. These men are incredible. The faithful, dear, hardworking saints of the church honor such men. So this morning I want to say this. To those of you who serve on the parking team, those of you who are faithfully discipling your children, those of you who are faithfully tithing off of a modest salary, those of you who show up at 7 a.m. on Sundays to run sound and slides, those of you who stay after to stack chairs, mop floors, those of you who serve in City Light Kids, And stay committed through the whole semester like you said you would. Those of you who open up your homes, bleach out your bathrooms before the guests come over, share your food with other people in the church. To those of you who keep opening up your Bible every day and listening to Jesus. Those of you who are patiently parenting a child with special needs. Those of you who are caring for an elderly person. No one knows about it, but you have been a faithful friend. Listen, I know you're not leading a city group of 40 people. You don't have the capacity. That's okay. You're being faithful. 
To all of you, let me say good work. Stay at it. We honor you. You might not ever have a book written about your life, but I want you to know Jesus sees you. He saw Epaphroditus, and I want you to know you're making a bigger difference than you can ever realize. City Light, I want our church to have the reputation of ordinary, faithful people who love Jesus and love his church. Uh, Let me wrap it up this way. I want to say this. The humility of Timothy and the glad faithfulness of Epaphroditus are but a reflection of what they saw in their Savior Jesus. As I got started saying, these two men are not the hero of this text, uh, but these are men who have been saved and transformed by the one hero, and that is Jesus Christ. It was Jesus who humbled himself to take their sins and ours on the cross. It was Jesus who was faithful in the small things. When he's tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, as he walked through 30 years of human experience like you and I, he was faithful to honor the Father in every way so that he might earn a righteousness before him that you and I never could. It was Jesus who, for gladness and faithful obedience, did for us what we could never do for ourselves in his perfect life and sacrificial death. And now, church, as we treasure this gospel, as we trust this Jesus, would we, City Light, be a church filled with spiritual fathers and sons who are faithfully walking with each other, mothers and daughters who are a voice of encouragement and prayer and family to one another? And would we um, be a group of very ordinary people who are made glad in our faithfulness to King Jesus? This morning, we're going to respond to the Word of God as we often do by taking communion. Uh, So if you're a communion server, if you go ahead and and head back, grab the communion elements and make your way up as I introduce our time together. Um, It's in communion that we remember the humble sacrifice of Jesus and we proclaim the victory uh, that his faithfulness and his humility afforded us as his followers and those who trust in him. And so let me read our instructions for communion out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, Paul, same author, said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this morning, we're going to come remembering... Uh, the same Savior that saved old Tim and Epaph. And, and I want to pray that their um, response would kind of be reflected in us, that we would come humbly, realizing that the, the body and, and blood that we're partaking in uh, represents divine body and blood. Jesus didn't have to give himself, yet out of love humbled himself for us. Would we receive it in humility and leave as humble people, um, elevating the status like Timothy of those around us, uh, seeking to learn and be discipled by others. Uh, additionally, as we remember that um, that body and blood would mean nothing to us if Jesus had not been faithful in every way to the Father. And so as we remember his living sacrifice, his righteous living done on our behalf, um, would we celebrate that as we partake of the elements and when we leave saying, Jesus, like you were faithful, might I be faithful. Like you were committed to go to the cross, might I be committed to walking with you um, in non-glamorous ways, but being faithful until the very end. Let's pray. Jesus, you alone are the faithful one. You alone are the humble one. You were the one uh, who saved sinners like us. God, as we look at these men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, we see the way that um, they ministered to your church. They left a witness to the world. Um, 
God. In some ways, we want to be like them as they wanted to be like Jesus. Um, I pray that for us, we would be a humble community. There wouldn't be pretense here, uh, but we would come broken. We would share our lives together, and he w- we would humbly walk with each other to know you more. And God, would you make us, um, in some ways, like Epaphroditus, humble men and women who just say, you know what? I might not ever get the spotlight or the stage or the book, but I'm going to be faithful to Jesus, and I'm going to trust that uh, in the quietness and the mundane and the sacrifice and the moments of being ill and, and uh, cleaning diapers and caring for someone else and stacking chairs, that Jesus sees me and he smiles. Uh, it's through the little things that the biggest difference are, differences are made. So Jesus, would you continue this time of ministry as we partake of your body and your blood, being reminded of your love for us. We pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.